0: Warning, the following podcast is a shit show and the individuals you are about to meet are idiots. Their opinions, anecdotes and advice contain zero nutritional value. This is the critical human condition
1: and all of its strangeness. This is life. According to an idiot.
0: Jennifer, we have spaghetti for you whenever you get here.
1: That's a text I would love to hear at any time from anybody. We have spaghetti for you.
0: Okay. We're going to plow through this. Okay. So, I have cancer.
1: Oh god. <laughs> Just a joke, everybody. Cancer here. is a joke.
0: I am having surgery on my uterus, so is it a joke? We'll see.
1: I I'm still going to say no, it's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's intensive
1: surgery on your uterus.
0: Yeah. I don't
1: know. Is that a topic you want to talk about? Is your uterus?
0: (laughs) I felt like a good opener. Hey,
1: I'm having surgery on my uterus.
0: I am having surgery on my uterus.
1: Is the plural of uterus, uteruses?
0: I would say uteri.
1: Because I hate the sound of uteruses.
0: I like the sound of uteri.
1: Yeah, uteri. It
0: sounds like a white kid name.
1: What? It sounds like an <laughs> Afghan name, Uteri.
0: No, like with all the fucky like little kid names these days, like Uteri is definitely yeah. like some little boy name that would be out.
1: Like Slade. Oh
0: yes. Yeah, I dated Slade. a girl who worked
1: at a daycare, and one of the kids' names was Slade. <laughs>
0: Did they love Teen Titans? <laughs> That's
1: was I first thought. I'm like, oh, he's a- gonna grow up to be a villain. Yeah. He's gonna grow up to kill superheroes.
0: Definitely. It's me, Slade.
1: Hi, I'm Grenade, <laughs> the seven-year-old boy. How are you? <laughs>
0: This is uh, According to an Idiot. Welcome. That was the five-star golden intro that I had planned. Mm -hmm. Right, Jeremy? Right, Jeremy. So we just had our first improv comedy show we've ever done, and it feels appropriate to share it because- I was
1: fucking terrified the whole time.
0: (laughs) Some people from our improv class listen to us, so
1: yeah. So we thought we'd bore all of you who <laughs> people who aren't the four people from improv class.
0: at uh, the two listening. people. The two,
1: <laughs> the two people. Hopefully, it'll grow to four someday. I
0: don't know. I think I think it's fun to add. I, we talked about it a little bit before. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It's appropriate to update, right? We both have social anxiety.
1: Yeah. And, and just anxiety. Just
0: anxiety. It's anxiety. The depression. OCD.
1: Shell shock.
0: That's not even, like, totally sarcastic either. Like, you're fucked.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. As someone who is anxious, with improv, it was comforting because you don't know what to be worried about. So, therefore, yeah. you, all your anxiety is void.
0: I, I get that way with lecture presentation type things right. with my job. You can only prepare so much. And you just kind of, at some point, have to get up there and wing it. It's kind of a fun feeling to me. And it was, to- it was very different doing it in, like, a comedy setting. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So... Moving on from that, I did want to say thank you to our improv troupe, our classmates, if you're still listening to this. <laughs> thank you so much, and I love you guys. You guys really did help me a lot, and the class was pretty transformative for me. Yeah. But um, I'm not going to let you say your thank yous. I uh,
1: I thank no one. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome for carrying this class. No, it was, it was a very cool experience with cool people. Yeah. I, th- I would recommend anybody who, like, You don't even have to be funny. Anybody who has like social anxiety, try out improv. It's going to make you so uncomfortable in the best way.
0: Yeah, definitely. I always say you're not growing if you're comfortable.
1: Absolutely.
0: You should always do the things that scare you. Those are the things that you should reach out and do because what's the worst that's going to happen?
1: You could die. Once you know (laughs) that, it's not scary. Like that's what I always do. I always think because of the anxiety, of course, I always think what's the worst thing that could happen? Okay. Well, that probably won't happen. Right, exactly. Okay. What's the worst that would have
0: happened in improv? I don't know. I putzed a joke and nobody laughed. Mm -hmm. And what's the best that happened? Probably what happened. Yeah. You know, I went up there. I had a fun time. So if you are scared about something, just go out and do it. Because why not?
1: You have a a finite amount of time on this earth, you know? If you don't take chances, nothing's going to happen. Definitely. Really, nothing's going to happen for you. If you're not okay with being a little bit embarrassed... You're gonna be embarrassed regardless because yeah, you're, you're gonna be like, I'm embarrassed that I didn't take a chance. Exactly. So
0: that's my life philosophy.
1: Life is pain. <laughs> life is pain. Be <laughs> uncomfortable.
0: Ooh, this is a perfect segue. Stop right there. <laughs> life is pain. Think Gulag.
1: Oh, God. Okay, yeah. Like right. the Russian concentration camps? Yes. I love where this is headed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Even better. Another twist and turn. Okay. Think Shrek. Right. Lost do you, me Do you entirely. see the parallels? <laughs> um,
1: uh, I don't know. Shrek looks like he could maybe be Russian.
0: Do you think that maybe Shrek in itself is a gulag?
1: You're going to have to elaborate for <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's that's, that's so conceptual. That's, that Jeremy. is some high theory right there.
0: I don't know if you've heard, but they're... I doing, definitely haven't. They're doing a Shrek reboot Uh, 2020. What? Yes. what? They're not doing a sequel. They're doing a reboot of Shrek. Okay. Supposedly. It's been in the works for a long time, and they keep, like, postponing it. But supposedly there's going to be a reboot of Shrek in 2020. Wow. Right? Internet, hurrah. Everyone excited. Yeah, no, the
1: thing is the internet likes Shrek ironically now because it's been beaten to death with, like, the terrible sequels.
0: Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm bringing it up, the reboot, and Shrek in general, is... I researched Shrek for some reason because I felt like it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to ask questions. The history
0: of Shrek. And apparently there was like, I don't know if you remember when I call it a conspiracy. Oh, boy. With Shrek, which I thought was hilarious. So I wanted to share with you and get your thoughts. Okay. Basically, DreamWorks, the production company that made Shrek. Yes. Punished the animators by making them work on it. So around that time... Prince of Egypt was also in works and that was kind of like going to be their big Mm -hmm. blockbuster hit. So they had a bunch of animators working on Prince of Egypt and people actually a pretty good film. It is. I I actually like it. Uh, it It flopped in the box office. Yeah, right. So back when Prince of Egypt was in the works, if DreamWorks thought that an animator was doing a bad job or they messed up or they made a mistake, they were sent to go work on Shrek as a punishment wow the movie yeah so they it was called the gulag
1: oh they actually nicknamed it the gulag yeah they
0: they nicknamed it the gulag and they called it getting shrecked (laughs)
1: Oh my god. Yeah. That's oh, wow. Yeah,
0: they uh, called it the ugly stepchild of the animation wing because they thought the movie would never see the light of day let alone an academy award. Wow. So oh wait, Shrek
1: won the an academy award?
0: Yeah, I guess so. Damn. Well, uh, oh, you know, the
1: first the first one especially was huge when it came out. Like it was like Shrek was massive.
0: Which is so funny cuz Dreamworks considered it a low budget boondoggle. <laughs>
1: Hey, <laughs> I hate like the weird company, like the industry jargon. It's a, boondoggle. That's a
0: boondoggle. I thought it was a funny word. Um, yeah, they just banished animators to it once they failed on other projects. Uh, a court, and this is actually in a book of somebody who worked at DreamWorks. Mm-hmm. So this is like a recorded thing. Someone thought it was important enough to mention in a book about the DreamWorks <laughs> yeah. gulag and called gulag. "Getting Shreked."
1: Getting <laughs> Man.
0: I don't know. Like, it just fits right into my perception of what Shrek is, though.
1: That's, like... Pure kiss, Matt. Shrek, when it came out to what it is today, mm-hmm. and with the revamp, I don't know what it's going to turn into again. We disrespect Shrek so much as a nation, as <laughs> as a generation, with good reason though. With
0: good reason, but and also, also like not really ill intent.
1: Shrek is like the really nice towel that is now a jizz rag.
0: Shrek is love, and Shrek is life, and Shre- Shre- Shrek, Shrek is a gulag.
1: Shre- like. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, like I, the Shrek memes and everything. And if you don't know about the Shrek memes, because I don't know who's listening to this. But Look into it; you'll be confused. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah, it's, it's the weirdest cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Can you take that seriously? Can you revamp that? Because it's become such a I don't even know how to talk about it. Shrek is the fucking weirdest thing ever because people mm-hmm. like love it so much they hate it, or they hate it so much they love it. I don't uh, know. Yeah,
0: I, it's like the B movie.
1: Yeah, the B movie as well, because the B movie did not do well critically when it came out. But B movie memes, (laughs) the B movie memes are absolute insanity. (laughs) They're completely like, there's no way Jerry Seinfeld understands what the B movie memes are. Yeah. There's no way.
0: Uh, If you're not aware, the B movie is a movie about a bee that falls in love with a woman, and then the (laughs) woman also falls in love with the bee. It was an animated movie that came out probably like. 10 or so years ago probably, now probably
1: yeah i saw that in theaters as a kid i,
0: I did too actually yeah. yeah i was excited
1: for that movie you too? Uh, yeah. <laughs> jerry seinfeld produced it and he acted in it and like the main character's face was like modeled off his own kind of yeah It was one of those movies where it was just like a passion project. And I don't know why, because like, what do you think about when you think of Jerry Seinfeld? Oh, bees.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He woke up from a fever dream one day and was like, I have to make a movie about this.
1: Right. Jerry Seinfeld took Ambien and like called a producer and was like, I got an idea.
0: But yeah, it was like bad. Yeah. And then after a while, it just kind of became a meme. People started loving it. Kind of like The Room.
1: Exactly. It got a cult following.
0: Shrek is a little different, though, because Shrek was actually good and people loved it Mm -hmm. when it first came out. Yeah. And now it's just kind of transformed into like a weird sex thing.
1: Yeah. Shrek has reached the very depths of mean culture. What we've we've done to Shrek, I think, is pretty unspeakable. (laughs) But it only makes sense that it started off as this gulag. Yeah. Kaylee, I have something I want to run by you real quick. Have you ever heard of the Yellowstone Zone of Death?
0: I've heard of Yellowstone. Okay. And I've heard of Death
1: the Yellowstone zone of death is obviously it's a section of Yellowstone National Park in which as a result of a loophole in the Constitution of the United States, a criminal could theoretically get away with any crime up to and including murder.
0: What? How? It's just this
1: one zone that isn't.
0: Because it's uh, I, like where it's a all, zoning the, issue. all the four states meet. Is that okay, it? OK. So because Yellowstone encompasses like four states, there's four ways you can get in. In no ways, you can get out.
1: Uh, that's that's like <laughs> a, the tagline to like a really bad Yellowstone horror movie.
0: Wrong turn 16.
1: Um, okay, I'm going to read this off, and we're just going to keep whatever makes sense. The loophole is as follows. The court <laughs> district governing Wyoming is currently the only court district in the U.S. to have a jurisdiction over land in other states. This is due to the fact that all of Yellowstone National Park, which includes parts of Wyoming, Idaho, and Montana, is part of the Wyoming Judicial District. Any criminal discovered to have committed a crime in that district would usually be brought to Cheyenne, Wyoming, where the court for the Wyoming district is. However, the Sixth Amendment decrees that a trial must happen both within the district and state of where the crime was committed. Because of this, a crime committed in the zone of death, would be constitutionally required to be tried in and include only jury members from the zone. So therefore, you know, it exists in the Idaho part of the park, mm-hmm. but Wyoming owns all of it. Right. So you can go to this little patch and you could kill somebody and you couldn't be tried.
0: They would pr- probably find a way to try you.
1: No, not me.
0: Like in, in, my, in my head, I'm just imagining like one circle of chalk in the right. middle of the park. There's like one guy standing in the middle of it. Hey, why don't why don't you come over here? I got, <laughs> I got some stuff for you. And you're like, well, what do you mean? What kind of of stuff in your circle? Why do I got to go in there? Don't worry about it. Are you going to sacrifice me or something? No, no, no. Come come here.
1: The view is perfect from right where I'm standing.
0: And then he stabs you, and then people are watching, and they're like, well, you can't do anything about it. You didn't see anything. Yeah. This is the dead zone.
1: That's fucking badass, though, isn't it? Yeah. Anyone who inhabits it is probably going to become a killer. Oh, yeah. Because if you just knew that you could kill, maybe you would kill. You don't know that.
0: But if you do it out in the middle of nowhere, nobody knows it was you.
1: Right. Well, that's how I've been getting away with it. Right, I don't need I mean. a dead zone. I just need, like, a... Silence. Just some trees.
0: Yeah, some you know? trees, some dirt, some silence. Baby. Isn't it so
1: weird that, like, being tried for all crimes really just depends on, like, a set of eyes observing it? Mm-hmm. Hearing it as well. Or I somebody just can... being
0: able to stumble across it. So next time I need to murder somebody, I'll go, I'll go to Wyoming. or no, I- I- Idaho. Idaho and Idaho. Wyoming, where they converge.
1: In school, when the teacher said, Idaho, did you ever laugh? <laughs>
0: I definitely did for Uranus.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah Uranus. But yeah. I just love when like a teacher would be like, Idaho. It's like first That's person. That's where you always
0: wait. You're like, what's this one, kids? Utah. Utah. It's definitely the most important state. Don't at me. Yep. So, Jeremy, I've been not talking enough, so I'm going to talk
1: to <laughs> you. Yeah, I like it.
0: <laughs> so, here's a science corner about scientists. Uh, science, science is cool, cool. and today, today we are cool. cool. I came across this, and I was just like, a. Oh, what? You know, mm-hmm. my, sci- my science brain <laughs> oh, yeah? is, was tingling. It was very yeah. pleased. Yeah. You, you have an aneurysm. You, you, you have an aneurysm. Uh, scientists are able to now implant memories into bird brains. They teach.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it gets
0: weirder. So they teach them songs they've never heard before using a technique called optogenetics. Basically, they flash light to the birds that stimulate certain neurons in the brain And this causes auditory memories that would normally come from outside stimulus. So they're teaching birds songs by flashing light.
1: Wow. Yeah. Holy shit.
0: Is that not like the most bizarre thing you've ever heard? So. Oh
1: my god. So you can. I want you to see this
0: cute little picture of the scientist with a bird.
1: Oh, that's a cute. That's a cute bird. Yeah, I
0: fucking love birds, but.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you can just like, you can just flash a series of lights at a bird, and all of a sudden it knows like. Street Corner Symphony by Rob Thomas.
0: Yeah, basically.
1: That's the first time I've said Street Corner Symphony by Rob Thomas out loud. But it's a fu- it's a song a bird would know. That's a song a bird would know.
0: Yeah, one one that it would sing to.
1: Yeah.
0: Is that so bizarre though? Like that's wild. I'm hoping one day science can do that to me. Like they can just flash some light and I just know stuff now. Can you imagine how wild that is for the birds? There's like, oh fuck. I
1: don't think they I'm can gonna appreci- sing this now. Yeah. See, I don't think they can appreciate it. <laughs> because they're just like ah oh, yes light means sound <laughs> <laughs> they just go beethoven Or is hmm. it
0: like the, they're flashing the light and they're like oh well that makes sense oh uh, yeah i they, should repeat that inter- with I- my I- voice interesting yeah now i want to i want to ah, <laughs> ah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah really
0: that's what i imagine that's fucking like, insane. like do they sing it as they're getting the light flashes or does it take a minute to retain
1: I don't know. Either and way, birds looks- are just slaves. That's all it is. Yeah. This is a message. I must repeat this.
0: Burp, burp, burp. That's what I imagine <laughs> a bird sounds like. <laughs> yeah, they're cute little birds, too. They're finches. They're tinier yeah, finches ones. finches are really cute. Zebra finches, so.
1: So they're striped.
0: So finch fathers sing to their chicks while they're young, and eventually the baby birds will start to mimic them. Over time, they'll master the song and pass it down to their offspring as well. So in a way, zebra finches show a simplified version of human vocal development, oh. which is kind of fucking adorable. Like, they're, they're, they're fin- the finches have their own family song.
1: That is very cute. If
0: you think about it, you know. So in this new study, the researchers bypassed this process and directly manipulated the brains of young finches. Which is like a fun way to say that. That's terrible.
1: (laughs) That's to manipulate the brain of young finches.
0: Right. Teaching them parts of a song without any kind of tutoring from their parents.
1: They didn't even have to learn that from their folks.
0: Yeah. like. got it. I'm imagining I'm now the parent of this finch.
1: I imagine how proud you'd be. yeah, oh, they like, were. they were successfully brainwashed.
0: Good job, buddy. I'm manipulating your little finch brain.
1: <laughs> what gave them the idea to do that? They
0: used some kind of Morse code to teach the finches how long syllables of the song should be. Longer pulses of light told them to sing longer syllables and vice versa. And oh. eventually, the birds learned how to sing along, even though they'd never been taught by an adult finch.
1: That's cool. I wonder, like what they are going to do with that information. Yeah, I don't know. Can they do anything
0: with We're going to get Finch Spice. If the Soviet yeah, exactly. Union knew about this. Totally. Oh, my God. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, so many secret messages. That's what the
1: scientists said when they discovered what they did. Like, oh, fuck. We just unlocked it.
0: Yeah, we, un- we, unlocked, <laughs> we unlocked the total it. code.
1: Whatever it is, it's <laughs> unlocked. And, like, Pandora's <laughs> box is just opened.
0: Wrap it up, folks. We're done. This is it. We, we unlocked Science it. Science is over. <laughs> I thought that was fun.
1: Well, you know what What else is fun and has wings? What's that? The The Mothman.
0: that's the exact segue i was going for
1: god bless it
0: (laughs) so you actually read a book on
1: this (laughs) yes uh we're going to talk about the mothman of point pleasant west virginia it might be my favorite chunk of like american folklore it's oh such, really? Yeah, I, I've been wanting to do it for a really long time. I think it was last October. I was going to do it for our, our Halloween episode. This mm-hmm. is back when the show was like the different format, so it was whatever. But like, and I was, I, I was just a child then.
0: Oh, how the times have changed. Oh, how
1: the times have turned the tables. Yeah, even back then, I was like, I can't cover this because it's too deep, mm-hmm. and it isn't really that deep. But it's just such a, this is going to be a story that might be worth revisiting in the future. Definitely. The Mothman, which is a cryptid, a strange creature that appeared in the town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, from 1966 to 1967, is just such a bizarre tale that takes so many twists and turns. And it's going to really require you to um, either turn off your brain or turn on (laughs) your brain, depending on who you are as a person. (laughs) Um, So I read a book, which most of my research is based on. It's called The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. It was written in 1975, I believe.
0: I saw the mention of that book everywhere.
1: The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. John Keel is a paranormal investigator slash writer slash journalist sort of figure. And he wrote this book. It's based on a true story. And obviously he takes some liberties. You can definitely feel that in the book. You have to. It's incredibly entertaining. I think if you enjoy like high fringe 100% check out The Mothman Prophecies it's a wild ride I walked away so confused and so (laughs) unsure about what anything is and I I hope it aids in the discussion of this topic of The Mothman so I think we should just jump right into it and see what happens sharing their curiosity to know the unknown their tension their readiness for inconceivable adventures
0: is it human or inhuman Earthly or unearthly.
1: When the headlights hit it, it turned and looked at them, and they said, that's not a man.
0: When I seen them big red eyes, we were out of there. We heard this terrible boom and saw the bridge starting to fall. To me, it was a devil, malt man, this evil presence. Unbelievable, fantastic, but I tell you it could happen.
1: So the Mothman is really a staple of the local culture of West Virginia, and you know, obviously Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Where It's actually there's a, a large metal statue of Mothman in Point Pleasant, as, Wait, as well what? as a, yeah, no, really, as well as like a Mothman <laughs> museum. I think Jerry from Hillbilly Horror Stories recently went there. He posted a picture on Facebook with him and his granddaughter. I think. Aww, and that's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. I should have uh, contacted him and asked him what it was like. It's a huge tourist attraction, this museum, and just the story in general has captivated people's imaginations, and it's a huge part of American paranormal zeitgeist. I think to start off, a very important character in the story is Point Pleasant itself, so I wanted to start off with giving you guys the foundation of our location, our setting. As of today, Point Pleasant is a relatively small town. According to a 2010 census, there's a population of around 4,300 people.
0: 4,000, that's like today?
1: Yeah, well, that's as of 2010. But at, based on the past censuses, it seems like it's actually getting lower and lower, which is kind uh-huh. of common for small towns these days. Interesting, but, yeah. yeah.
0: I was going to say, it's probably even lower than that in the 66 and 67.
1: Or it might be bigger because people move away now a lot Yeah, they to, do. to cities. But anyways, it resides in Mason County, West Virginia. And again, either turn off or turn on your brain. I'm going to be talking like this is all real shit, even though like I myself have some serious reservations about some of these the, the facets of this my story. My brain
0: is so turned on right now. Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> my, my, my brain is like hard right now. So it's located at the confluence of the Ohio and Kanawha Rivers. Hmm. And I just so you know, a little geography lesson for you, confluence is just the term that refers to uh, where two rivers join into one. And so I know we talked about this in the past for sure, but this idea that supernatural paranormal stuff is tied to running water Mm -hmm. and water in general, if you want to get fringy with it. The fact that Point Pleasant is literally on the edge of where two major rivers combine, I think, could play a part in this mythology that you'll shortly see unfold. So following a French exposition around 1749, a plaque was buried in, in this general area by the Ohio River Valley, which contained a commemorative declaration of ownership by what was called, at that point, New France, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, the king of France at the time was like, we got to do what the English are doing. We got to make colonies there. Mm-hmm. But at that point, the British had already started to essentially seduce the natives and be like, hey, we got glass beads and um, muskets, maybe? I, I don't know. <laughs> so the French kind of failed at that. But the one thing the expedition did was it gave us like the first clear map of the Ohio River River and the Ohio River Valley was a really significant place geographically for mankind in that area at that time because it was a sort of artery which connects a multitude of waterways. Uh, the Ohio River itself drains into the Mississippi River, which flows to the Gulf of Mexico and into the Atlantic. And tributaries from New York, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Alabama all led to the Ohio River.
0: That's kind of like fantastical, right? Yeah, like it feels like a fairy tale in that way. Like, you always end up right at the same same spot.
1: Right. There's something kind of, like, creepy about yeah, that. Yeah, and,
0: like, drawing you to it.
1: Yeah, because there's, like, there's always been a draw with, like, people and certain activities to water. And I think it's because, you, like—
0: People are know. naked, usually, in water.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's <laughs> just purely a sexual, carnal area. All right. <laughs> I want to stress a few things, and that's that, namely, this was the general area where Point Pleasant sits. And has been super important historically, culturally, economically. It acted as a lifeline for trading with tribes and settlers. It carried ships from faraway lands containing European expeditioners and later boatloads of white settlers that would threaten the livelihood of the natives. The expression "sold down the river" referred to the Ohio being used to transport slaves down south to plantations. And so prior to the Civil War, the river acted as a kind of border between free and slave states. Uh, more slaves made their escape across the Ohio than anywhere else on the north-south frontier. Slaves actually called the river the River Jordan. So it was sort of seen as that barrier to cross to get to, to freedom. So notable history, in 1770, then-Colonel George Washington visited that area, passed right through Mount Pleasant, remarking on its beauty. Quote, this country abounds in buffalo and wild game of all kinds. And he also took note of the many ponds containing swans, geese, ducks, and, um... Giant Mothman. No, Ooh, right. that sounds wonderful. He said, there's giant fucking moth dudes here, and, and I'm scared. And if you
0: look over here, there's beautiful swans. There's some ponds. Oh, there's there's the Mothman. And there's a,
1: what the fuck is that?
0: And it's some man <laughs> in a, a feather suit. <laughs>
1: yeah. G- the George Washington's Journal for that day, what the fuck? <laughs> Don't come here.
0: There's a Mothman here. Yeah.
1: What the he hell? He just, like,
0: keeps bumping into that light bulb. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's another issue that uh, will be addressed later on is, like, I don't know why he's called Mothman because literally no one compares him to a moth at any point in the story. Yeah. It's they, like they the, all
0: call him like a birdman.
1: Everyone's like it's a bird, it's a bird, it's a bat, it's a bat. I think most of the time it's just they're really trying really hard not to call him Batman.
0: Well, it's probably cuz it was it's all during nighttime. So like that non-eternal yeah. aspect. Yeah.
1: A significant thing that happened there is this thing called the Battle of Point Pleasant, which is considered by some mainly locally as like the first battle of the Revolutionary War. So after this battle, after the Battle of Point Pleasant and that whole 1700s bullshit, Point Pleasant remained relatively unremarkable. And I don't say that with any derogatory meaning, just nothing really happened there for a long time. Uh, that is until the collapse of the Silver Bridge in nineteen sixty-seven, which killed forty-six people. And we will get into that later. And that tragedy as well, we'll soon find out, will become sort of the nucleus of Mothman mythology. So let's dive into the real uh, meat and potatoes. So <laughs> as I um as I was talking about before, a big source for me in this research was The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. Published in nineteen seventy five. It was a New York Times bestseller. It was translated into thirteen languages. So, you know, this is this isn't your friend's zine. He's trying to sell it at a at a bookshop. Zine? This is a, that's a, that's that's beyond you. Okay, that is some <laughs> hipster zines. Are like like local magazines that are like so underground. Uh, you can only get them at certain books. Yeah, okay. fuck zines. So the book contains uh, writer John Keel's account of his personal investigation in Point Pleasant around the time of the Mothman sightings, as well as at the same time, almost before and after it sort of bookended, these Mothman stuff was a ton of UFO sightings. But the book also includes Keel's sort of general musings on cryptozoology and the paranormal and some personal theories. Um, What I really liked about the book is when it starts off, Keel... Always seems to exhibit a lot of um, skepticism, which I like to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, like, ha- halfway through, uh, all of a sudden, he's just sort of reveals himself to be, like, something of a crackpot. Or he's like, <laughs> yeah, I don't believe in, uh, you know, a lot of these were pure hoaxes. And here's why, and here's why, and here's why. Then all of a sudden, he hit, like, page 200, and he was like, the world is controlled by interdimensional beings called oh ultra-paranormal. God. It's like, oh, <laughs> my lord. But even his,
0: this has taken a turn.
1: It's it's all it's this all the whole book is just a bunch of turns. That's why I recommend if you like like weird shit, check it out. But so not me. It was hard to follow. I, I'm like I read this thing in like a week and absorbed maybe twenty five percent of what he was trying to tell me.
0: That's kind of how I feel about the Scientology book going clear. Oh really? Like there's so much and there's so many like turns and just yeah. like what the. F- Yep. That I feel like I there's so much more crazy shit in there that I just didn't retain because there's like more precedent. How can
1: you? Because there's so much. There's so many different like narratives and storylines and like okay we'll get back to that in a second. But also this. But also that. First of all, Mothman in a nutshell. The Mothman is a legendary a a sedentary lifestyle. No, the Mothman is a legendary winged creature. (laughs) (laughs) It's called a quick save. Legendary winged creature described as. Resembling a human man covered in brown or sometimes described as gray fur with big red glowing eyes. He's around six to seven feet tall. He's got these big glowing red eyes in the breast area um, because he seems to have no head. Modern interpretations like cool little graphics you'll see online just show him as like a man with literal moth wings. But really, he looked like an owl. Interesting. Like a giant, like a mascot owl almost because he kind of has this like drumstick body, this big fat head with two eyes in the middle and these big feathery bird wings and um, (laughs) legs that are often described as muscular. (laughs) Like everyone makes the point of being like, oh, he had man legs. Like I saw the muscles in his manly legs.
0: I'm just imagining... (laughs) <laughs> like, can you, like, crush me with them?
1: He's like, that dude's, like, doing squats. Like, yeah, like, several points, people were like, oh, his legs were muscular.
0: His thighs? Oh,
1: his legs went on for days. Uh, yeah. We are assuming the gender. It really could have been anything. It just didn't have breasts that we know of. But maybe their, breasts, their breasts could be stored in a different part of the body.
0: Maybe it's just too dark to see.
1: Very true. Maybe that their is. glowing red eyes were tits. <gasps> uh, uh, red hot nipples. Red hot nipples. <laughs> And you can probably enlighten us more on this, but Mothman, the Mothman, he lives in this area, which I don't understand why it's called this. It seems almost fake. This area of Mount Pleasant called the TNT area.
0: Uh, Well, I have a whole history on it, so I can give you that right now if you'd like. The Mothman is known to frequent... The TNT area, as it's called in West Virginia, the TNT area is from an ammunition manufacturing facility that employed a few thousand people in World War II. So explosives were stored in bunkers scattered across uh, about 8,000-acre territory, and these bunkers were disguised by a thick layer of earth. So think kind of like hobbit holes.
1: Okay. You know, like there's,
0: there's a hidden door. That's kind of small, and then the rest of it's covered by... That's how
1: Mothman got in.
0: Yeah, earth and, like, grass and stuff, kind of, like, lost. You think, like, the hidden bunkers and lost and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're actually, like, really creepy looking, like, old, rusted. Yeah. It definitely looks pretty explosive-y. Right. Um, (laughs) Like, you shouldn't go in there. Right, yeah, for sure. Uh, So the manufacturing facility for the explosives closed down after World War II area, World War... World War II World time War. period. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the land was converted to a wildlife manu Oh my god, I can't talk uh, a wild wildlife- club, <laughs> a wildlife management area, which was later found to be severely contaminated by explosive byproducts. So naturally today the land is used for fishing. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: Uh while still being on the EPA or the environmental protection agencies national priorities list for hazardous waste oh wow so it's extremely hazardous and people still just kind of go there for fishing trips and stuff but this is said to be the mothman's main domain and hiding place right,
1: like his nest
0: yeah his nest
1: and i guess the like, the reason that they call it the tnt area is because they just know like oh there's still tnt in there yeah absolutely there's still explosives under there
0: yeah fun fact in may of 2010 one of the bunkers with 20,000 pounds of unstable material suddenly exploded. Oh, God. Yeah, so these things are still, like, active wow. and unstable and, like, reactive right and yeah nobody died thankfully but like a few people were injured but can you imagine like,
1: I I like that's kind of like, how close it is to Point Pleasant it's like a few miles north of it I think
0: yeah it's very close
1: it's, yeah it's located five miles north of Point Pleasant yeah. so you gotta think of the psychology of this just knowing that there is this kind of mysterious abandoned area that's dangerous that could yeah. blow up at any second really could have aided potentially to this idea of that's where the thing dwells is this yeah. dangerous area that we can't Go to
0: definitely, and if you hear the stories of like this dangerous thing and ooh, spooky, then when you go there, you're like kind of more inclined to think something's, something's there,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And then once you get that creepy feeling, it's hard it's to a, it's shake the power it. of
1: suggestion. Kind of
0: a lot of the sightings were in this area, and many claimed it was a large winged man with red eyes, yeah, a contractor working in the area. Uh, shined a flashlight at the creature, and its eyes glowed like bicycle reflectors, Mm -hmm. is how he described it. He also blamed the disappearance of his dog, on the creature yes. so there's yes. like a lot of animal uh disappearances with the mothman as well which yeah, that
1: was that was i believe that was merle partridge well unless there's two separate dogs that got uh, like there's a few
0: dogs it. that went missing
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know there's a thing with the mothman like dogs like yeah. he probably eats dogs well um, my
0: thought instantly was like mothman is in a bunker and he just has a bunch of dogs and he adorable. just he loves them that's pretty cute and all I liked his it pets, a lot pets and like yeah. the dogs just like love him because he's all fuzzy and stuff and he just like pets the dogs all day
1: that's Really cute, that'd be like a nice little cartoon. Yeah, I drew right? a picture of Mothman while I was like listening to uh <laughs> two interviews, and uh, this is in my opinion, this is what Mothman is. Oh, that's disordered. She has to really fucking I
0: love that picture though. You should um. <laughs> You should put that in the graphic art for sure I will, for Instagram I
1: will. yeah
0: any guesses on what this is? Our next episode yeah. focuses on whatever the whatever fuck this that is
1: beefcake is yeah that's my idea of Moth that's my idea of Mothman and the perfect man yeah, but what you're talking about with that contractor or that it was like a military contractor somebody who was like patrolling the area potentially one of the first sightings of him was that he saw this thing in a tree. Yeah. It was just like, you know, fucking like bird man. And he was like, what is that? I should shine my flashlight on it. And he saw it and he was like, I should not have shined my flashlight on that. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the thing just it disappeared like it flew off or whatever. But what's weird about Mothman is that in all of the sightings, when they describe him flying off, it's not like his wings flap and he takes off. It's like he levitates in the air and takes off like a helicopter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's some wing flapping for, for the most part. Just out of there. Also, like, what like the fuck?
0: all of the eyewitness reports I've read about him, I'm assuming a him, is it doesn't really do anything to anybody. No. It, it's just kind of there, and it's spooky, and then he, he realizes he spooks someone out, and he leaves. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, he's pretty yeah. courteous.
1: Yeah, well, the-
0: he's, he's hanging out in this abandoned area that's dangerous that no one should be in anyway. You know, yeah, probably just true. trying to stay away from people. Well, and that's, then-
1: that's where you get this theory. This um, Out of all of the, you know, how many theories there are in Mothman, a very popular one is this idea that he is either, A, a harbinger of doom. Like, he mm. shows up just before and disappears right after the Silver Bridge collapses, which is a, yeah. a big part of this town's history. People say, what if he was warning everybody? Like, what if he yeah. was some sort of sentient whatever from some other portal or whatever you want to call it?
0: That's what I like to think.
1: I think that's way more interesting, Like, for sure. in my
0: brain, I like to go the route of he was trying to save the bridge. Mm-hmm. Like, he knew it was going to collapse and he couldn't. Right. So he left and he lives in this TNT area knowing that people probably shouldn't be going there so he wouldn't be spotted and all these dogs disappear because he's taking care of them.
1: That's adorable.
0: Mothman is a hunk.
1: He's a hunk. But yeah, I mean, Keel talks about these things called tulpas. I think I'm pronouncing that right, which I think are fascinating. You can talk about UFOs all day. You can talk about Sasquatch. Science, for the most part, can tell you like, okay, well, there might not be a Sasquatch or UFOs might be real. But with tulpas, it's so metaphysical. It's like a fairy tale side of paranormal. So a tulpa is a being or an object which is created through spiritual or mental powers. It's like a manifestation. Keel proposes that UFOs could be tulpas. So let's say if you think about a UFO enough, you'll see a UFO. It can be as simple as that. Or people get crazy with it where it's like maybe there are these interdimensional beings, but we all perceive them as different things. Think of like if a kid can't comprehend what he's seeing, he or she will relate it to whatever they do understand. Mm-hmm. So if he walks in a mom and dad, fucking, he's like, mom and dad are wrestling. Yeah. So if this thing, this entity, this manifestation, this metaphysical being shows up, and your brain has to decide what it is. This is really high concept. and I'm definitely did not like look into enough <laughs> to really understand what I'm about to say. <laughs> but so like a mirror, it reflects whatever your brain can conceive.
0: That's really interesting.
1: There's this this thing entering our dimension. But in my mind, I'm going to see it as a big man with wings.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a
1: mothman. Someone else might see it as, like, oh, a big flying disc. Right. It was a UFO. Way, way back in medieval times, you saw something weird in the sky. Oh, a dragon or like a witch. Right. That's because at that time, that's as far as your brain would go to. That's what your brain could, you know, comprehend right. in terms of this uncomprehendable thing. Right. So that's obviously a huge tangent. I apologize. but so No, that
0: was like really interesting. There's
1: the concept that maybe the mothman is a tulpa. Maybe it's this thing yeah. where at that time, for some whatever reason, people were seeing a birdman.
0: Right. And I mean, it also kind of explains why it hasn't been seen since. Yeah. Or maybe he just realized his hidey hole was discovered and he's like, all right, I'll go fuck off somewhere else
1: just the uh, concept of him he doesn't really make any sense like he like no he doesn't, he doesn't it's n- so odd and he doesn't really reoccur in any other places in time mm-hmm. but there are similar sightings to things like this these are less substantiated so i can't you know say for certainty for example there's this thing called the blackbird of chernobyl where this insanely large bird thing was seen like days before the chernobyl collapse and there's also this uh, the sighting of like a of a winged bird man similar to mothman outside of this mine in Germany, somewhere in Europe. These workers reported to a mine one morning, and they saw a man standing in front of the mine with their back to them in, like, a, a black coat. As they watched, they thought this is a very strange-looking man, and they realized that that wasn't a coat. It was black, leathery wings. And the man screamed at them and spread his wings and flew away. Shortly after, the mine collapsed. These weird anomalies tend to show up before something crazy happens. Yeah. And for some reason, they're all winged, which I don't understand.
0: You know what I really want? I want a pelican man.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that'd be fucking disgusting. Pelican man. Okay, I heard this uh, this thing today. A pelican's beak. I'm gonna fuck this up. A pelican's... <laughs> a pelican's mouth can hold more than its belly can interesting like pelican no like it's uh, <laughs> interesting it's a science fact oh really no like pelican bellican. like his belly can is a pelican's beak can hold more than its bellican uh, it's dumb i'm not gonna leave that in that was the worst thing ever said. <laughs> i'll leave
0: it in so i dumb. i edit the fat so saying <laughs> in at least from my perspective
1: oh god okay so back to other bird things um uh. i want to touch on uh well, first of all, tell me about what you learned about the first sighting with the gravediggers.
0: The first sighting ever of the Mothman was in nineteen sixty six, uh, when two grave diggers Well I should
1: start by saying that from nineteen sixty six to nineteen sixty seven, there were over one hundred reported Mothman sightings in Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. And there's assumed to be many more that just weren't reported. But yeah. so like this was a this was a serious thing locally. Yeah. But t- talk about Especially the Especially first...
0: like when there's only four thousand people in the town.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's significant.
0: Yeah, so the first sighting was in 1966 when two gravediggers working near Clendine, West Virginia, reported a large-winged humanoid that flew from a nearby tree and glided over their heads. So, yeah, definitely not like flappy, kind of like this big bird thing kind of swooping, down. swooping right. down over top of them.
1: Yeah. A point of interest, I thought, was on November 13th or 14th, 1966, at around 10.30 p.m., Merle Partridge of Salem, West Virginia, which is about 90 miles north of Point Pleasant, so quite a ways, but this is a little bit before the Mothman settings had reached Point Pleasant, Merle Partridge was watching TV at night when his television set began to blank out. Just as it malfunctioned, a high-pitched whining came from the TV set, and as Merle would later describe, it was very loud and sounded like a generator winding up just then, Merle's dog, Bandit, who had previously been resting outside on the porch, started up with a crazed and incessant barking. When Merle checked on Bandit, he noticed that the dog was directing his attention and his barking towards the hay barn, which was um, a considerable distance away from the, from the porch. And this dog is claimed to be by Merle a very reliable and trained dog, mm-hmm. but he had never seen Bandit act so strange and so panicked. And that kind of worried him so he went and got his eight millimeter shotgun and he ventured out into the cold november night there's a feeling of fear that he couldn't shake and so he confined himself to the porch peering out towards the hay barn merle noticed two very large circular red lights moving in the distance when he saw it he pretty much saw it as eyes he watches these lights in the distance they're shiny and red and if they were eyes they were eyes that belonged to something quite large And that's when Bandit finally snapped and goes running into the dark after the red glow until there was no sign of the trusted dog or the red lights. So all of a sudden, Bandit's gone into the night, the eyes are gone, and it's just Merle on the porch. And he's still overtaken with his feeling of apprehension. He decides to wait till morning to wrangle up Bandit, and that's a decision that he'd go on to regret because the dog was never found. A trip out to the barn the next day would leave Merle with little more than a few paw prints and he actually followed the trail of his dog's paw prints past the the hay barn and the, the tracks just went in a circle and they disappeared. It looked like he was just chasing his tail.
0: That's really interesting. Well, I'll throw in here. This is from the same day. While out driving near the abandoned TNT plant, two couples claimed that a massive humanoid with a 10-feet wingspan and large glowing eyes appeared in the sky and then chased their car down the road.
1: Yeah, so this this is, um... The thing with this TNT area, weirdly enough, is it sort of was like a lover's lane kind of thing for young people to go riding out there like, make out. And
0: That's where the goths went.
1: Pretty much, yeah. Whatever goths would exist in 1966 are like, let's go out to this scary place and just make some good old-fashioned 1966 whoopee. Mm-hmm so these couples went on like a joyride in a black 1957 chevy this happened on november 15th 66 it was linda and roger scarberry and steve and mary Millette, and the whole instance is actually kind of terrifying because everybody walked away saying like oh that was a monster (laughs) but as they were as they were peeling out this thing was flying alongside them.
0: Shit.
1: Um, it you know, got lost in the night and they sort of parted ways. But as they're driving, they noted a large dead dog on the side of the road, hmm. which they think might have been banded. And they go right to the police. The police go with them and do like a little reconnaissance mission. And the dog's not there when they get back there. Hmm. So like maybe that was like dead dog, leave it there, pick it up later. Um, but that's just how I thought those two were related. But that's, that's sort of like the cornerstone Sighting is this image of this 1960s couple in a black Cadillac being chased by this monster.
0: Can you imagine how horrifying that would Fuck be, though? Fuck that.
1: Fuck that,
0: ah. Fuck that
1: so ah. legitimately. Literally right? being
0: chased that. by some monster thing, and you're like, no. this is only, you're only supposed to see this in the movies. <laughs> and then right. it's literally happening right. to you.
1: And this is 1966, so people like, they don't even see this scary stuff in movies. Like, yeah. they're, you know, like in movies, it's like very right. tame stuff. This is probably like melting their brains let see if I can try to find the, uh, the headline was really good for that. Because it showed up in the paper the next day. What's so cool about this story is as a community, everyone knew who to trust. Very few people were laughed at with these sightings, especially uh-huh. when they started to double up. So, like, it is interesting to see the community respond to it. Because yeah. even the police officers with those young couples, the sheriff or somebody, one of the police officers said, like, I've known these kids their entire lives. They're not liars. They were so genuine. I believe what they saw. So there wasn't this typical like all oh, you crazy kids. Right. People were like, Oh, you saw a monster? I'm also scared.
0: Yeah, like that's kinda <laughs> awesome.
1: Yeah. I think this like the Mothman Prophecies film had almost nothing to do. It was like a modern adaptation that also wasn't really an adaption. Mm-hmm. But I think like the book itself, the stories it tells, like it would be an incredible film on its own or like a mini series, because the stuff that happens with Mothman is like bizarre. There's UFOs, there's men in black, there's I would love a giant it. If they did
0: like a maleficent twist on it where they did it from mothman's perspective that'd be
1: really cool yeah he's
0: just some homeless man that likes to hang out in the tnt area and then radioactive ah, mothman He's bitten
1: by a radioactive moth
0: but he always just loved dogs because he's a homeless man and now he's trying not to spook people and he's like chased down the car like guys don't be scared it's fine it's fine stay away
1: this is the tnt area it's very dangerous
0: yeah the one guy's dog is the first dog he tried to befriend and accidentally killed it and he felt bad, so he got rid of the corpse because he didn't want to keep scaring people. Yeah.
1: And he ate it still.
0: Yeah, he still ate it. It's still delicious. A shame to let it go to waste. I think I have a crush on the Mothman.
1: I don't blame you. I'm not <laughs> going to say I don't either. Yeah, here's the headline from the Point Pleasant Register. And this was Wednesday, November 16th. Yeah, 1966. So just a few days after, a day after. The headline read. Couples see man-sized bird, dot, 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 creature, dot, 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 something. Ooh. That's a cool-ass headline, you guys. I love it. Also terrible reporting because it's like, hey, we have a story that we have minimal information on. We're just like, it's something. They saw it, and we don't know what it was. But yeah, here's but a story. That's also
0: it. intriguing and its Oh, for right? sure.
1: And it's just a great headline. So, Kaylee, uh, you're the science person here. You're yeah. the smart one. I'm the good-looking one. And so... <laughs> Good trade-off. So um, there's several theories to disprove the Mothman, which only makes sense because it's like a ridiculous concept. Yeah. What did you find on debunkings of Mothman?
0: So there weren't a whole lot of like well-researched or well-thought-out theories, but the main one is called the Sandhill Crane Theory. And this originated from a wildlife biologist at West Virginia University that told reporters that descriptions and sightings all fit the characteristics of a sandhill crane, which is a mm-hmm. large American bird, almost as high as a man. They can be like six feet, five, six feet, it's, something that's like discuss- that.
1: That should not exist.
0: Yeah, with a seven-foot wingspan uh, with red coloring around the eyes. And he claims that the bird must have deviated from its migration route,
1: mm-hmm. so
0: it ended up in... An area that it isn't normally in, which would explain why the people are suddenly seeing this thing. That's for, unnatural uh, to them. It's unnatural to them, and it was such a short amount of time. Yeah. And you know, eyes kind of glow when you shine lights in them and for stuff, sure. and they are yeah. very like big and red. Yeah. So it does fit that description. The disappearing of the dogs is still kind of unexplained.
1: Right. Also, they got those skinny little bird legs or like do. sticks. They They have no muscle like our boy Mothman.
0: Yeah, but no also. Beefcake. Memories, you know, the whole false memories thing. For sure, that's a if, ho-
1: that's a huge part of yeah, this. Yeah,
0: if you if you look at it and you tell yourself that's that's like a birdman, right? You're gonna remember it having like man that's legs. That's true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like an owl. Owls don't have like visible legs. That's right. Right. They also so. kind of
1: have the big eyes and no real head because owls are kind of stocky.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's uh, there's I think there's like it's very likely. Yeah. I in no way am confident that mothman is a real thing. Yeah, uh, the sightings if he were even me real. up. Yeah, please. Call go, me. Yeah, contact us, Mothman. I also love will. dogs. <laughs> Backing away from the Mothman itself for a little bit because... Really, as far as the Mothman is concerned, the rest of the sightings are just kind of like that. A dog runs away into the night. People get a weird feeling. They look outside and they see a pair of red glowing eyes looking at them. Yeah. There's a hundred sightings. Yeah.
0: Where it gets interesting, I think, is the Silver Bridge.
1: Yeah. That shit gets wild. So I'm going to deviate real quick. Same time frame. Mm-hmm. There was a ton of UFOs seen in Point Pleasant. And a lot of people think that there is a relationship between Mothman and the UFOs. So March night, I think this is a really weird. Uh, this, I got this straight from Mothman Prophecies. So March 1966, as John Keel described her, a, quote, shapely housewife. Also, like, low-key, John Keel is a sexist. <laughs> <And> this <laughs> book is from 1975, and he says so many things where I'm like, oh, God, I'm, I understand why there isn't an audiobook of this. Right. You're like, okay, John Keel. Um, <laughs> so a shapely housewife was waiting in her car outside of school to pick up her kids when she saw a shining metal disc hovering low to the ground above the school playground. She described a door-like aperture that opened on the side of the disc's rim with a man standing outside of it in midair, watching intently at the playground. This man was wearing, like, a metallic bodysuit, and he had long, white-flowing hair. But so just as her kids approach the car and, I assume, start to pile in, she looks at her kids, and when she looks back, obviously, it's gone. This is a really weird UFO sighting because it makes— it does not sound like it came from the period of the 60s. Right. Um, And, I mean, that, to me, could also be a tulpa. Again, in the summer of 66, several customers at Tiny's Diner in Point Pleasant.
0: That's such like a small diner name.
1: I know, right? Uh, They spotted UFOs hovering in the sky. And that summer, journalist Mary Heyer, she was a very significant character in the book, Um, And in real life, obviously, because it's based off true events. But that summer, local journalist Mary Heyer witnessed a similar object in the sky while driving. But at the time, she thought little of it until later unexplained occurrences would cause her to reevaluate this sighting. And Mary Heyer relates to the UFOs. She relates to Mothman. She relates to John Keel. And she relates to the Silver Bridge Collapse. Mm -hmm. She has a very interesting connection to the Silver Bridge Collapse. So Mary Heyer was a newspaper reporter for the Athens Messenger and managed the publications office on 6th Street in downtown Point Pleasant. So Mary ran a column in the Messenger called Where the Waters Mingle, which is a reference to the confluence of the two rivers that are outside Point Pleasant. And this column was all about kind of weird, odd paranormal happenings in the area because there's always been, I guess, some weird shit going on in Point Pleasant. And so as a result of her running this column, she got along with John Keel, because John Keel, again, was a a paranormal investigator. So when he came into Point Pleasant to research UFOs and inadvertently Mothman, they kind of hit it off. Keel ended up dedicating the book to Mary and the people of Point Pleasant. But yeah, so her column around the time when these UFOs started happening, again, everyone knows each other here. So when a guy walks in and says, I just saw a UFO and it was the craziest moment of my life. She's like, I'll write an article about it. (laughs) So I'll just tell you how she relates to the... um, Silverbridge Collapse. Okay. Okay. So uh, at some point in the, we're going to be bypassing some, a lot of girth and meat of the story, but an interesting point I want to get to about Mary Hires. At some point along her adventures with John Keel and all this stuff, which is a whole episode in and of itself, uh, she starts to have these premonitions or these weird dreams
0: oh.
1: of water and wrapped presents floating in water and people floating in water. Thing like a lazy river. Like she's having these dreams of these people floating in the water with these wrapped Christmas presents. Yeah. Um, do you know the date someone that it collapsed?
0: Yes, December fifteenth, nineteen sixty-seven.
1: Okay, so when this bridge collapses, a lot of people were Christmas shopping, right. and so these people, when the bridge collapsed, um oh. When, yeah, when Mary first went to the scene, because it was a huge thing in town, everybody rushed to the bridge to see what happened, because all of a sudden the bridge was just gone. Right. And they heard screaming. Mary looked into the water, and she saw, first of all, she saw, like, some submerged cars, but she also saw Christmas presents floating in the water. And then she saw the bodies rising up, obviously people that died in the impact of the collapse. Mm -hmm. So these dreams were like a, you know, like a premonition. And so people relate that to, like, you know, this, this thing that, Mothman or whatever was going on at the time had this effect on people. But more on the Silver Bridge Collapse, I think you, you know more about that than I do.
0: Yeah, so the Silver Bridge was built in 1928 and was connected from Point Pleasant, West Virginia, to Galapolis. Galep- Galep- I have no idea how to say it I don't either. know how to yeah, say no, that. It was in
1: the book. I have no idea how you pronounce it. Galapagos,
0: Ohio is how I'm going to pronounce it. Um, so it connected the two areas over a river and was pretty traffic ridden, I guess you'd say. So come December 15th, 1967, the bridge crumbled into the Ohio River during rush hour.
1: Like Kil- the worst time for that to happen. Yeah, literally yeah. the worst
0: time. Yeah, so... The bridge was pretty popular, and then you can imagine during rush hour, it was completely packed. Yeah. Uh, it crumbles into the river, killing 46 people without warning. There wasn't even any signs that the bridge was going to collapse or that it was weak. It just kind of collapsed all at once. Um, I
1: read in the book that like a, a, a main reason for the collapse, too, is that it was built in like the 20s, did you say?
0: 1928,
1: yeah. Yeah, built in 1928, um, and it was built with like Model T's and like the car builds at that time, which are significantly lighter than cars manufactured in the 60s. That's when like the chassis and everything got significantly heavier right? and more sturdy and it's like a totally different machine. So it really wasn't equipped for that weight change. So it was sort of like a ticking time bomb in a sense.
0: It is one of the worst catastrophes in American history. Which I think is really interesting considering it's, like, such a small town with, like, 4,000 people. And
1: and when you I think it's easy to look at the number of – what was it? Forty-seven? Forty-six. Forty-six people died. Forty-six people is a lot of people, but also, like, not a ton of people. That's what
0: I think. Well, I think of
1: a catastrophe. I think, oh, like, hundreds of people died. But you got to remember, too, this is a small town. And how many individuals did that affect? Right. You know, how many generations were changed? How many generations were, were ended? how yeah. many you know, lives were changed forever. I mean, that's, that's a weight that the town still feels because it wasn't that long ago.
0: Right, definitely. And there was an investigative team that was kind of put on to see why the bridge collapsed. And really all that they found was poor design and overloading of the bridge. Uh, and they blamed the entire bridge's collapse due to the failure of one single link in the bridge. So it was a poor design and it was overloaded. But that in and of itself wouldn't have explained the total collapse of the bridge. And the only thing that they found that would explain it was the failure of a single link.
1: Damn.
0: (laughs) Um, Which is kind of insane to think about. So Mothman sightings were seen around the bridge before its collapse and they stopped immediately after the collapse of the bridge, uh, which made a lot of people think that the two were related. Either that the Mothman caused the collapse of the bridge or that the Mothman yeah. was trying to warn people of the bridge collapse. A lot of people claim to have seen it just before the collapse of the bridge right. itself.
1: It's some of the, the final sightings are like right before the bridge collapse. They see this entity hovering over the bridge.
0: Right, which is kind of interesting to me because I would think You know, the Mothman is this big craze in the town at the time. Everyone's talking about the Mothman. Everyone's seeing the Mothman. And then you have this mass tragedy of a bridge collapse. Like, I would think that kind of takes the focus of what everyone's talking about. Yeah. You know, like, that's the new headline. That's the new story. So, like, the Mothman's kind of forgotten about. Yeah. So maybe that's why the Mothman disappeared. Yeah. You know, like, the sighting stopped immediately because everyone is so preoccupied with the bridge right. collapsing, and forty-six you... families really kind of being ended yeah. in a town of, you know, four thousand. You
1: look at it from that really crazy tulpa side of things. If it is all mental projection and your mental energy is directed somewhere else entirely, mm-hmm. it makes sense that you'd stop seeing these weird things because you're not even your brain isn't even paying attention to them.
0: Right, that's what I'm saying. Because you're so preoccupied. Yeah, it's. I don't know. Like that's kind of yeah. interesting to think about. I think. And a
1: lot of times when you hear stories like this with these cryptids and, and when it's tied to a town tragedy. It's normally after the fact where it's like, yeah. oh, all these stories come out. But what I like about this is that it was such a big deal before it happened. Mm-hmm. It adds a, a level of like mystery and like creepiness. And I, I, I'll I, say legitimacy, although I know that it's a it's a wild concept. But the, uh, the fact that it was such a big deal and then this thing happened and then it was still a big deal afterwards. Yeah,
0: definitely. And there's
1: so much more with Men in Black specifically. I think like we could totally do like an, an episode on that alone. It's so fucking creepy. There's some stuff. I actually like – I. Reading this book, I had nightmares about it.
0: Maybe our next episode we can focus on Men in Black. So this can be like a part one. And then maybe we can have our first part two episode. Yeah. Which would be kind of fun. So that was part of the Maze of the Mothman tale. Yes. Uh, We'll continue. I've decided for the both of us on our next episode. Well, we'll kind of dive in more of the men in black
1: the finer details yeah the, the finer story.
0: details the kind of focus on the men in black and a few other people that tie into the story because it was such a meaty meaty, meaty, topic, meaty topic and yeah. i would love to fully explain it so this was part 1 and we'll go into part 2 in our next episode but if you did like it please make sure that you leave us some feedback you let us know if you have any topics you would like us to talk about it's A bit of a delay if you send us an email I promise I read it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we will do an episode on the topics you give us. We just also record like a month in advance before the episodes come out. Um, So don't lose hope. We'll talk about it. But send us an email at accordingtoanidiot at gmail.com. And we also have an Instagram and Facebook, according to an idiot. And our Twitter handle is at Idiots Accord. And if you did like us, it would mean a lot if you could leave us an iTunes review. Those bump us up quite a bit and we get new listeners that way right. as well. We, yeah. So
1: We always love to hear what you guys have to say as well, especially yeah. if it's uh, critical, because we love to cry. Yeah, I have we low self-esteem.
0: So. <laughs> we
1: have low self-esteem. We're thin-skinned. <laughs> it's perfect for us, so please.
0: Yeah, I love reading the reviews and stuff, and the things that you post about us on Facebook and on iTunes and all that stuff, and Podbean. I read all of it. I usually screenshot it and send it to Jeremy, and then mm-hmm. we like giggle about it together. So, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> If If that thought gives you some joy, go ahead and do it, but thank you guys for listening and um we didn't do a good vibration good so vibrations. We, we gotta do that kaylee, um,
1: kaylee give me that vibe
0: my good vibrations is hunky sensitive mothman obviously
1: yes, yes. i i I'm, <laughs> gross uh, i gotta say i think um how could my nut also be mothman i don't know <laughs> We've established that he is a very eligible bachelor.
0: Imagine resting your head up yeah. against his fur. Like, yep. Oh, amazing. It's warm.
1: He's got big-ass wings. Inviting. Uh, just eyes that you get lost in. He'll, he'll dog sit for you on vacation. It's perfect. Yeah. yeah. So
0: Thank you guys for listening, and have a good one. Stay. We'll see you next time.
1: Stay spooky.